0: This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs, to electric vehicles, to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses, shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford and is the UK's largest investment trust. As with any investment, please note capital is at risk. To find out more, please visit scottishmortgageit.com.
1: Hello, my name is Christopher Johnson, reporter at CityWire Wealth Manager. I had the opportunity to speak to Daniel Pinto, founder, chairman and CEO of the global investment firm Stanhope Capital Group. We discussed his bullishness on private equity, the impact of inflation on the global economy, whether he believes that the world has entered the beginning of deglobalization, as well as his views on the direction of China and its impact on the rest of the world. I was quite interested in getting your perspective on private equity. So I was reading that um, last year uh, private equity um, on average generated an extra 83 cents per dollar invested since 2017, according to to Hamilton Lane. Um, So I just wanted to get your view on investment within private equity and whether you think it's a good tool for uh the diversification of one's portfolio
2: private equity is a very important component in any portfolio if you have time in other words uh obviously you need to be able to sustain the illiquidity that comes with private equity but if you do have time uh, on your side um, then uh, it is obvious that uh, private equity should be part of your portfolio in in a in a meaningful way just to give you a sense the average return of private equity funds uh in the us over the last 20 years um uh, in the world of buyouts have been in the region of 15 percent per year so uh, an internal rate of return of 15 percent that compares to an average return of the SP over the last 20 years of seven percent so you get double the return uh of the um of the public markets if you are able to invest in uh, private equity and what is even more interesting is that the 15% is the average but if you look at the top quartile performers in private equity they are at about 21% returns net of carried interest and, and you know uh, so the performance fees that uh, are paid to the managers so you, you are comparing 21 to seven um, and, and, and that's quite remarkable And I don't you know, uh, you can argue that because a lot of money has been raised in private equity and more money is chasing uh, the same number of deals, uh, perhaps the returns will compress a bit and perhaps the premium that you get from private equity will uh, narrow down. But even if you go from 15% to 13%, that still remains quite a hefty premium compared to public markets and I think it's completely justified so the short answer to your question is. Absolutely, private equity should should remain uh, an important component in um, a portfolio.
1: And what are your views on the impact of inflation on the global economy and um, the impact that it's just generally having on on everything at the moment?
2: It plays out um, at the level of the consumers uh, who, and I'm talking about citizens in general who, um, you know, obviously are squeezed uh, because the price of everything goes up. Salaries goes up, go up as well, but not necessarily at the same pace as uh, the cost of product and services. So there is a squeeze at the level of consumers. Uh, There is a squeeze on the margins of companies. So consumers, but also companies, there is a squeeze on companies in the sense that they buy um, raw material that is more expensive, And again, not all companies are able to pass on the price increases to their customers. So the margins of corporations are shrinking as a result of that. Um, And um, it has an impact on the economy in general, because if consumers are squeezed and if corporations are in a position where their margins shrink as a result of inflation, Then you have, at macro level, a situation where the economy is not doing as well and where growth is hampered. I mean, the GDP growth is hampered. Now, the real question is whether we are entering a long period of higher inflation or or whether we are seeing, um, you know, a period, we we have probably a, a period of two or three years ahead of us of higher inflation. I tend to be in the second camp. I tend to think that inflation will remain elevated for the next maybe couple of years. But that um, at some point uh, you'll see the price of commodities coming down, as you know the spike in the price of commodities has been largely fueled by uh, the war in Ukraine. Hopefully, this war is not going to last forever, and so you know that that if that element uh, you know disappears, and I'm not predicting it will disappear anytime soon, but I don't think that in five years' time we'll still be at it, if you will. So if that element that has um, artificially increase the price of energy, for example. If that element kind of disappears in the next couple of years, then you'll see the price of commodities coming down. And the second element is that the economy has a way of sorting itself out, in the sense that, uh, as I mentioned, the price of commodities have, uh, sorry, the price of goods and services have gone up, um, uh, you know, uh, reflecting the inflationary pressure that we were discussing. But as people consume a bit less, and they consume less because they have less money to spend, um, then obviously the price of everything will will start to reach a plateau and then potentially come down a bit. So I think it's a matter of time before you you return to a more normal level of inflation. And, uh, you know, what we defined as normal for the last decades has been 2%. Uh, the target of all central banks or most central banks in the world is two percent i don 't think we'll return to two percent anytime soon, but we might return to three or four percent in the next two years as GDP growth kind of um, slows down
1: and still so on the point of inflation are you are there kind of any alternative investments that you're looking at which can hedge it um? During this time, although you still believe that it's you know may not be in the long term, but you're having to adapt your strategies um, to to deal with it.
2: So you have uh, several elements that enable you to um, soften the blow of inflation, not completely eliminate it, but obviously you can have commodities in portfolios, and we we discussed it, and it's a form of hedge. Um, y- you can have um in in the world of bonds you can have inflation-linked bonds so the value of these bonds does not suffer as much as normal bonds because they are they move in sync with inflation so you can have inflation-linked bonds in the world of equities you can invest in companies that have uh, pricing power what i mean by pricing power is that you know as we discussed before one of the issues uh that inflation creates for corporations is that the cost of raw material goes up and they cannot pass on necessarily the increase uh, in their costs to the customers. Well, there are companies in in a variety of sectors that are able to pass on the increase to customers. And typically you find these firms in, you know, these firms, uh, uh, you know, typically have a large market share, for example, have a very strong brand, um, and they are able to pass on, you know, price increases much uh, more effectively than sectors where um, competition is fierce, where you're a small player, and therefore you cannot command higher prices, um, you know, with your customers. So you need to be cognizant of that need to invest in companies that have pricing power. in order to protect your portfolio against inflation, and that's what we've been trying to do.
1: You touched on um, us possibly entering into a recession. I wanted to get your perspective on that. I, you know, so many people have those fears and and expect that we will do. Um, you said that maybe you're not so sure. So um, why is that? What are you seeing differently?
2: Because it depends on uh, it depends on the number of things. It depends uh, mainly on the action of central banks um, and how aggressive they will be in terms of raising interest rates. And you always have this um, possibility of a policy error of central banks that are going too far, so they were late in the game, behind the curve in terms of raising interest rates. And now that inflation is roaring, it could be that they, Raise interest rates too aggressively, even if the level of economic activity kind of um, comes down a bit. if they do that, uh, yes, the risk of a recession is is uh, higher. Um, if they are more flexible i e they really make their decisions based on data, real time data, then it could be that you will see interest rates go up. Um, a few times in the US in the next uh, in the next few months but then maybe the central bank will say okay at this point in time once we've done that we kind of pause see where we are and uh, and 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 see whether the economy is still overheated and uh, whether inflation is still as high as feared and if not we pause and we don't raise interest rates anymore and if they do that in a very kind of pragmatic way then maybe you can avoid uh, a recession.
1: And there's also been a lot of talk about um, de-globalization um, and whether that's been accelerated because of the impact of the Russia-Ukraine crisis. Kind of what is your perspective on this movement and do you think we are in the end of globalization or is it um, Are we over exaggerating? Is it a lot of fear mongering? Or do you think the system will bounce back as soon as well, once we find resolution with Russia and Ukraine?
2: So I think the world, the world will be less globalized, but I wouldn't go as far as saying the world will be deglobalized. I mean, I think it's very fashionable today to talk about um, a world that is deglobalized, as if it was the end of globalization. I think we are not there. And I think it won't happen. I think what will happen and Will happen in the wake of the COVID crisis and will happen in the wake of what's going on with China, what will happen in the wake of what's going on in Ukraine is companies thinking twice about and countries thinking twice about the level of. um, Reliance on uh, supplies from faraway countries and sometimes supplies from faraway countries that are not uh, democracies um and there will be a you know a, a, a tendency for particularly industrial companies to reshore in fact we have already seen that uh, to a degree in the last few years even pre covid but obviously with covid it gave new impetus to the uh, reshoring uh, trend which is basically companies that used to have factories in asia uh, to benefit from uh, cheaper labor um, and, uh, these companies weighing the cheaper labor against, uh, supply chain issues and saying, well, you know what, we'd rather, uh, not have supply chain issues and produce locally, even if it means, um, producing at a higher cost, and so that will, um, undoubtedly, uh, happen. It has started to happen and that's fine. The second thing that will happen is, uh, and that's more. Linked to the uh, you know supply of energy and raw materials, Um, the question will be, uh, and and that's an issue for uh, countries as opposed to just corporations. Uh, The issue will be: uh, Do we want to depend on country X Y Z? Do we prefer to depend on Russia for the supply of oil or gas, or do we prefer to depend on? Saudi Arabia Um, right now, a lot of people seem to believe that it's uh, better to depend on Saudi Arabia than it is to depend on China. But God knows what will happen in the next uh, few years, you know, um, if you depend on countries that are not democracies, um, it's a question of, of, um, you know, the risk you're willing to carry um, by depending too much on on one regime as opposed to another, ultimately, the solution ought to be that renewable energy, which is less, which is not necessarily produced by countries that are not democracies, uh, renewable energy should benefit. you You have to assume that the urge to create uh, clean energy uh, or to, to have supplies of clean energy will be even greater. Than before the Ukraine uh, crisis, but it takes time.
1: And on China, um, and I remember the beginning of this year, there were many, you know, asset managers doing kind of forums and talks about, you know, the year of the tiger. Um, and it seems to have gone, you know, in the opposite direction with, you know, lockdowns in Shanghai. Bloomberg was reporting that uh, a few U.S. businesses were going to divest completely from China in the next few years. Um, so, I just wanted to get your perspective on kind of the long-term, your long-term trajectory for trajectory for China.
2: I, I would say a bit more unstable. I think that there is no doubt that GDP growth in China will remain, you know, past the COVID crisis, the lockdowns, and you know, uh, everything else. Growth in China will remain strong and probably stronger than in America. Um, but um, Two things. I mean, two or three things have happened. Um, first of all, um, many countries are becoming more um, skeptical about what it means to depend on China. But there is also an issue of security, which, as you as you uh, as you have seen, at the point where. Uh, you know, broadband uh, in in this country uh, was going to uh, be delegated to a Chinese companies. Then you had uh, the government uh, wondering whether it was a safe thing to do from a security standpoint. and uh, and lastly, uh, your your partners, if you if you were as a corporation, when you work with Chinese companies and they are formidable, um, you know that these companies um, you know uh, depend. Uh, you know, uh, their fate depend almost entirely on on uh, on the whims of the government, um, and you can have the CEO of that company disappear one day and not reappear, <laughs> and that's not uh, ideal. And so, over the last few years, I think the perception that uh, you have of what it means to uh, collaborate and work with China has
0: changed. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies. From healthcare breakthroughs, to electric vehicles, to a green energy revolution, Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses, shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.